I take time out of our normal sermon series for the sake of ecclesiology. Now, I may have never used that word, uh, but ecclesiology is not the study of Ecclesiastes, it's the study of the church. And uh, in fact, the very first sermon series that I did at this church was five and a half years ago. Anyone, can you tell me what sermon series that was? I don't expect that you could. It's fine. It's the book of Ephesians. And I chose the book of Ephesians specifically for its ecclesiology. It, it lays out how the church should function, how the church should be ordered. And so every year about this time, I try to take some time and, and look at the church. And sometimes it's a, a longer series. Last year it was a, a 12 or 13 sermon series uh, called God's Church, God's Way. I've decided to keep that title as a mini-series. We'll only go three or four weeks this time. Uh, but th the point is, we as a church need to remember what the church is all about, because if we don't, we will stray, right? It, it's unfortunate. You'd think that once we get something right, we can just keep it. But the reality is, we need to be reminded of who we are and what we're all about. The church is about God and what he wants from us. It's not about us. We are not the customer. If you go to a restaurant and you order some food, you are the customer and the servers bring you what you demand. Now, hopefully you're demanding politely, but you are the customer and so you get what you want. In our situation with the church, God is the customer and we are the servants. We are to give him what he wants from us. God's church is to make disciples. Disciple is someone who follows. And we as a church have boiled that down to three easy categories of ways that we follow. We worship, we grow, and serve. As a disciple who worships and grows and serves, that's who we are and it's what we do. So our goal today and in the next few weeks is to kind of focus in on the worship aspect of what we do as a church. Normally, I preach straight through a book, uh, book of the Bible, verse by verse. Uh, we've been going through Philippians, and it seems like a weird place to kind of stop, but we'd already stopped with Michael preaching last week, and, uh, and the, the subject change is actually in the scripture in Philippians chapter 2, so it, it made a, a good breaking point for us to set that aside for a while. But if you want to join me in your Bibles this morning, uh, I'm actually going to hit lots of passages that I'll put up on the screen for you, but our primary text is 1 Peter chapter 3. So you can join me in 1 Peter chapter 3. Today's text is just half of a verse. Oftentimes I'll preach 2, 3, 4, 12 verses, uh, but being half a verse does not mean that it's only, only going to be five minutes long. Uh, just setting expectations. Uh, anyway, let's read our text. 1 Peter 3, 18. For, God, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Let's pray. Father, this short phrase really is quite loaded. Help us to unpack it and understand it and live in accordance with it. So, Father, guide my thoughts and my words. Open our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
first thing that we must know when it comes to worship is we must have a way to enter that worship. And Matt, I'm running the screen, so don't worry about it. We've got a good dozen verses, and it makes sense if I just run it. I, I just saw I'm confused by the fact that I put the logo up there. I can do that. <laughs> Sorry. First thing we need to know in this verse is our entrance into worship. Salvation is the first step to worship. We must have our sinfulness exchanged for his righteousness. His righteousness has to be placed into us on our accounts before we can worship. So if you're here today and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, what we sang earlier may have been worship songs and we as a congregation may have been worshiping, but as an unbeliever, you were not worshiping. You may have been going through the actions with us, that's fine, but it's not worship because worship has to have that transformed heart first. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a parallel verse to part of what we're looking at in 1 Peter, it says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He, God the Father, made the one who did not know sin. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ. He never sinned. In fact, we just looked at that recently in Philippians chapter 2. So what? so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We call this double imputation. I'm just throwing out all sorts of big theological words today. I'll, I'll stop. Uh, double imputation or the great exchange. Our sin is transferred to Jesus Christ. When? Well, about 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. Our sin was transferred to him and he was punished for our sin so that his righteousness could be imputed or exchanged or inserted into us. And how do we get that? By faith. Believing that only his righteousness could satisfy God. There can be no worship until this transaction is made. Romans 5.10 tells us that for while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Prior to salvation, we are... Ooh, I can do this. No, I can't. Okay. Where is Rob? He got it to work during VBS. I'll stop. If when we were enemies to God, he paid for our sins anyway. We were enemies prior to salvation. That's why we can't worship prior to salvation. We are, in fact, enemies of God. Our verse today is, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And what does the verse say happens? That he might bring us to God. God is the point of our salvation. Did Jesus save us so that we might walk the streets of gold? Scripture tells us that heaven is paved with gold. What do we pave our streets with? Well, the, the, the cheapest, durable thing we can find, and we balance those two. Sometimes we go a little cheaper at the expense of it not being very durable. 
but do we pave our streets for their beauty? <laughs> no. And yet heaven is paved with gold. In fact, the description of heaven is absolutely gorgeous. Who wouldn't want to go there? Will heaven be gorgeous? Absolutely. But is heaven the point? No. Is the outcome of our salvation so that we might be reunited with loved ones who have passed on before us? We all have loved ones who have died. And when you're in Christ, and they were in Christ, you know that there will be a great reunion one day. But is that the point? As great as that will be, no, it is not. What about the fact that we will live forever? Is that the point? That we get to shed this body that, that hurts and ages and creaks and groans and have a body that doesn't do any of those things? Is that the point? No, death is horrible. And that future where death will be no more as described in the book of Revelation is exciting. I can't wait for it, but none of these things are the point. Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we might be brought to God. That's it. That's the point. Everything else is superfluous, is extra. And don't get me wrong. Those extra things are great. But God is the point of our salvation. Imagine, husbands, if your wife only loved you for the gifts that you gave her, and her love only increased as you gave her more expensive and fancy things, but then when the budget got tight and you gave her fewer fancy things, she loved you less. How healthy would that marriage relationship be? It's the same with our relationship with God. All too often we talk about salvation and we talk about his gifts, but not God himself. So before we go in deeper into the centrality of God to the gospel, let's look at the immediate context of this verse. It would be completely inappropriate for me to just rip out half of a verse from the context of a, of a book and not explain how it fits into the, the rest of what's going on in that book. So if you have your Bibles open to First uh, Peter chapter 3, I invite you to follow along. Um, there's a, a reason, uh, a context of, uh, of what we're talking about here, and the reason that Peter used the word suffer. Now, your, your English translation may say died, for Christ also died once for sin. That's perfectly fine. There's, there's textual reasons for it. Uh, and, and there's a theological reason for it because the fact is the way he suffered is he died, okay? Peter was not, by using the word suffer, trying to minimize the death of Christ. But what he's used, doing is playing off of what he had already written. So back up with me, 1 Peter chapter 3 to verse 14. Peter talking to believers, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, there's a reason I'm not preaching this entire passage because we would spend so much time on suffering and not the pinnacle uh, of where we're looking at 
in verse 18. Verse 15, no, verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, that's one of the ways we suffer, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered. See, see the, the line of thought in here? How we as believers in Christ suffer and, and, and it should be expected because Christ also suffered. He suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Then the, the rest of the paragraph following verse 18, Peter explains what Jesus did after his death. And we pick it up at chapter four, verse one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Christ suffered. Why? 1 Peter 4, verse 2, so that we might do the will of God, so we might live for God, so that God might be our focus. So uh, that's the, the bigger picture that Peter is painting that finds its apex in chapter 3, verse 18. Now, in this greater context about suffering, you would think that in this paragraph uh, about not just suffering in general, but suffering of believers, that Peter would say that Jesus died to remove your suffering. Will believers experience the relief from suffering when we see Jesus face to face, yes. The book of Revelation says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no suffering, no sorrow, no mourning, no sickness, no pain. All those things will be forever behind us. Will God remove our suffering? Yes. But that's not the point of our salvation. Jesus suffered death so that we might have God now. So that we might live for him, pleasing him now. I look forward to heaven more and more. I look forward to the time of no more suffering, no more pain, no more loss. No more funerals. No more layoffs. No more divorces. I look forward to all the promises God has made for his children. But for anyone who might desire all the goodness from God but would be satisfied with a heaven that doesn't have God in it, that person is not likely to find himself there. Because to love the, the treasures of God without treasuring God himself would be a form of unbelief, would it not? Here's what I mean. A gospel filled with the gifts of God but without God himself is not the gospel of the Bible but a false gospel. 
right? Far too often, even those of us who are truly converted, who do believe the true gospel, we inadvertently promote a gospel of self-centeredness rather than a gospel of God. We promote a gospel of wanting the good life, of wanting uh, the good things that God provides and has promised rather than wanting God. The entrance to worship is that transformation, that double imputation, that exchange of my sinfulness for Christ's righteousness. The context of worship is suffering The point of worship clearly is God. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Let's look at some other scriptures. And Matthew, I don't see it as the next slide. Do you have Exodus 33, 18 up there? If you do, put that up. Exodus 33:18 Moses is having a conversation a, a, a literal back and forth with God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine uh, Exodus tells us that uh, that Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. He's having one of these exchanges and and Moses in in the climax of this conversation says, "Please show me your glory." Please, show me your glory. He wanted to see God. Now, if you're familiar at all with with this passage, you know that God says, uh, you know, if I do that, you're gonna die. So, So he does something for Moses. Because he asked for this great thing, that was not it. Exodus 33, 18. He asked for this great great thing. Lord, I wanna see you says, no, you can't see me. But instead, he hides, them, hides Moses behind a rock. God's visible presence passes by, and then Moses is able to see the afterglow. And you remember what happened? He comes back down the mountain, and all the people of Israel saw him, and he was glowing because of his encounter with God. The man who had face-to-face conversations with God, wanted more of God. Not his gifts, more of him. Psalm 27, verse four. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David expresses his desire for God. All he wants to do is be in God's presence and be there forever. Another psalm, Psalm 42, one through three. Matt, I know you have that one. Could you put that one up? Matthew, or Matthew. Psalm 42, one through three. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God. The living God. When can I come and appear before God? He wants to be with God. The thing is, his circumstances are lousy. The very next verse, my tears have been my food day and night. That's a poetic way of saying my life stinks. 
it's not his circumstances. Let me start that sentence again. His circumstances did not stop him from for longing for God. In fact, it f- increased his desire for God. Why do you think life hurts so often? God's putting in you that hunger for what we know to be right and true and good. Psalm 63, 1 and 2. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. In this psalm, in, in all, not all, in most psalms, in our daily lives, we see God withholding good things. Why? So that we would seek God rather than his gifts. Uh, in, in this verse, he says that he eagerly seeks God. I thirst for him. When, you're, when you've been uh, out in the heat, which apparently we're losing that. Summer is now fading. When you're out in the heat and, and working hard, what is the thing that you want most? You want to quench your thirst. That's the expression that he uses here. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. I'm fainting for you. And his resolution is to gaze upon the glory of the Lord. Psalm 16 One through five, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. In Psalm 16, verse 2, I just read, he says, you are my Lord. He expresses his full devotion to God. And in verse 5, he says, you are my portion and my cup. That's a phrase that we don't use uh, necessarily in today's vernacular. We might say it this way today, Lord, you are my everything. Is God your everything? Or is it that next latest and greatest thing? Or is it your job? Or is it your friends? Lord, you're my everything. Christ brings us to God. Only then can we worship and he becomes our highest joy. The contrast of worship is also found in our verse today. We've had the entrance and context to worship, the point of worship, which is God, and the contrast. For Christ also suffered once for sins, and here's that contrast, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus, the righteous one, died for us, the unrighteous ones. When we understand the gospel, we understand just how unworthy our sin makes us, it will increase our worship of God as his child. 
the gospel, which means good news, starts with bad news, very bad news. The very bad news is that we are unrighteous. In fact, if you were to uh, study the, the Greek as this verse was written in Greek, you would see the, the word righteous is a singular word, whereas the unrighteous is plural. The righteous one suffered for the unrighteous ones, the unrighteouses. The theological term we use for this, and I guess I am full of big words today, is total depravity. We say something is very depraved when when someone does something that's just beyond the pale horrible. But that's not actually theologically what we mean when we talk about total depravity. We don't mean that, that people are as bad as they could be. What we mean by total depravity is that they are thoroughly in every aspect of their lives sinful. In, in every way, we are ungodly in our natural state. Sin creeps into every aspect of our being. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Jesus. No, it's not Jesus. Surprised nobody shot me already. As sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. In this way, death spread to all people because all sin. But just a few verses later, which is what I was jumping ahead to in my mind, for just as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's, Jesus, through his obedience, the many will be made righteous. Romans chapter 5 is, uh, well, it's the middle of, Paul's doctoral thesis, if he were to, to, to write uh, his, his tome about the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in all its details, it's the book of Romans, and chapter 5 is all about uh, the, the whole point of sin, starting with Adam and passing on to everyone who came after Adam. Who came after Adam? Everyone. Who has been born a sinner? Everyone. That's why the, the, the doctrine of the Virgin Mary is actually very important. By Jesus not having an earthly father, only having a heavenly father, the sin did not pass to him because sin passes from the father to the children. As sin entered the world through one man, also sin is reconciled by one man. Jesus Christ. This is effectively the explanation of today's verse that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus, the perfect one, fully God and fully man, died to satisfy God's wrath, his anger, his anger that he rightly has at our sin. Christ died to satisfy. Why did he do this? So that we can be with God. Not just right with God. He does make us right with God. But, but by saying right with God, I could mean at a distance. And that's not what I mean at all. And that's not what scripture means. We are right with God and have an actual relationship with him when we put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. 
you've ever been asked or if you've ever asked someone if they want to believe in Jesus so they can go to heaven, as wonderful as that sentiment is, it is not a biblical one. Rather, we should ask, do you want to be with God? Now, if someone asked you, do you want to believe in Jesus so you could go to heaven, and you responded in faith, I'm not suggesting that that faith was null and void because the question was poorly asked. But what I'm saying is the point of our salvation is not the gifts of God. The point of our salvation is God. What we do find in Scripture, rather than, than invitations, would you like to believe, what we find in Scripture instead are commands. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. I love that phrase. You believe and then you take that to your family so that they also will believe. Uh, that's not a promise that everyone in your household will get saved but it's a promise that the, the gospel is for all people. So start there. Start with your family. We find in Scripture not invitations, but commands to believe. And then we find in Scripture the reality of what happens when we do believe. John 1, 12, and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Citizens of heaven? Children of God who are born not of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The gospel requires God. Without God as the center of the gospel, we don't have a gospel. We don't have a good news. Jesus came to die for our sins, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for any time that we have put other things in priority over you. Father, forgive us for the times that we glorify things that are less than you. Forgive us for the ways that we, that we take the, the joys of this life that are good gifts from you and make them ultimate. Father, help us rather to be people who enjoy the good gifts of this life because we enjoy the giver of those good gifts. Help us to be people who look forward to the joys of heaven, the, the peacefulness of heaven, the, the tranquility, the, the painlessness. Help us to look forward to those joys because of the giver of those joys. So Father, help us to analyze our own selves and to see how perhaps we are prioritizing uh, things of this life over you and help us to, to find our comfort, our delight, 
our purpose in you and in you alone. We thank you for this passage of scripture and for your spirit that, that moves within us to guide and direct and to convict and to encourage. And we ask, Father, that you would use your word in our hearts today in Jesus' name.